This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I caught up with a good friend of ours. I think we can say that. Yeah, yes. You didn't know who I was from Adam, but he's still a good friend of ours. I've done a couple of events with uh, Mr. John Barnes, Liverpool, England legend, of course. He's in town uh, for a very special event at the Judaf Premier Inn. This weekend. Yeah, it's taking place tomorrow. He's going to be regaling Liverpool fans with a Q&A at Mr. Toad's Pub from 2pm before watching tomorrow's early kickoff in the company of the punters as he hopes to see another three points go to the red half of Merseyside. There's going to be photo opportunities, signing opportunities with John at half-time. Yeah, of course, lest we forget, that is the Merseyside derby, the early kickoff tomorrow. It is Liverpool against Everton. Now, let's get into Robbie's chat with John then, where well, we focus on all things Liverpool, of course we do, and they're rather stuttering start to the campaign. However, it's fair to say John was in no mood to subscribe to any suggestion that his beloved club are up against it, as you'll hear. First, though, I did ask him how it was to be back here in Dubai a place he knows well. I've not been for a few years because of lockdown, but for the last 16 years I've been coming to Dubai uh, three times a year with my wife and kids for a holiday at the Royal Meridian, so I know it well. It's home from home, um, so it's good to be back. In fact, I'm coming again in October with the kids, uh, but I'm only here for two days this time. Okay, so flying visit, but importantly, for anyone listening to this show, particularly Liverpool fans, you are going to be appearing in a Q&A. You're going to be down here watching the Merseyside derby tomorrow. Absolutely, and it's a good time to be here. Um, I'm sure they'll have a few Evertonians getting in, but we know they've got lots of Liverpool supporters here. And the Merseyside derby is one of the highlights of the season, so I'm looking forward to it. What's your feeling surrounding this Merseyside derby, given the fact that Liverpool have not probably not made the start that they would have hoped to have made, um, and Everton, of course, at 17th in the table and, and struggling, really, following a, a bit of a turbulent summer transfer period. What's the sort of feeling of this fixture coming at this stage of the season six games in? Well, I think if you look at the way Merseyside Derbys have gone um, in the last four or five years, uh, Liverpool have had the upper hand and I expect it to be the same because in Derbys you take form out, the form goes out the window um, and the most important thing, which is why Liverpool have been successful, is that if they approach it in the right manner with the intensity, the determination, the attitude, then Liverpool come out on top. Now, in the past, if they don't have the right attitude, Everton have been able to, to beat them. But if you look at Jurgen Klopp's teams in the last three, four years since he's been there, they've approached every game in the right manner. So, as you say, maybe Liverpool may not have started well, but I think as long as they approach it in the right manner, which they will, because Jurgen insists on that, um, I think it won't be comfortable, because, as I said, form goes out the window, but um, I would expect a, a Liverpool victory. It's been a strange start for Liverpool, hasn't it? The two draws coming off, followed by the, the unexpected defeat to, to Manchester United, which was a surprise, given how United started, and then a 9-0 win over Bournemouth, and then a very edgy last-minute win over Newcastle, who themselves have, have been in fine form. So not to be dismissed in the slightest, but it seems like perhaps, and I, I don't know what your take on this is, after the exertions of last season, there seems to be maybe a little bit of a hangover. What's your read into it? No, I mean, we've got lots of injuries. Um, and if you look at we have to also understand that teams have improved because it'll be hard for Liverpool and Man City to improve because they lose one or two games a year. So, you know, and if you look at Man City in terms of what Haaland is doing, but they're still coming from 2-0 down, they can't keep doing that. So, which shows that teams are getting better. So if you look at Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, the teams get better. As I said, Man City and Liverpool can't improve improve on losing one game a year but other teams can get better so therefore it's going to be harder um, so that is, the, that is the situation and we have to respect the fact that you know if you look at what Newcastle have done in the money they've spent it's a, it goes to show the expectations we have of Liverpool the fact that we've only lost one game against, away against Man United which of course 
probably shows how low Man United have sunk in terms of why are we surprised they're a great side not only that on any one occasion United have got good players they can win matches we don't expect them to do it consistently but on any one occasion they can beat anybody so it goes to show the level of expectation we have at Liverpool that we're surprised that they lost the way to Man United so yes once we got our injury situation sorted because Liverpool still play with the determination and the right attitude we'll be fine we're 14 points behind City last year and we came back to, lo- to lose by one point. So I have no fears that Liverpool and City will be the top two teams. But Tottenham have improved, Arsenal have improved, Newcastle, other teams have improved. So we have to respect the Premier League and not just expect Liverpool and Man City to win all the matches and run away with it. So people may look at that as a bit of a disappointment for Liverpool, but it just shows how well they've done for us to expect too much. In terms of the personnel, John, of course, Sadio Mane, Darwin Nunes coming in, you know, he's, he's had some issues early on with, with the sending off, but he has hit the ground running as well in the Community Shield. He's looked very good. Luis Diaz has looked very good in the early part of the season. I guess the team is missing a, a kind of um, a metronome like Thiago Alcantara in the middle of the park. But what do you make of the signing of Arthur, Arthur Mello from Juventus on loan and as, as, as a kind of replacement for uh, Thiago Alcantara and, and, and where Liverpool, I guess, need to, need to make sure they keep everyone fit? Well, first of all, you know, it'll take time. As I say, it's a transition because what happens if you have lots of good experienced players. Now Nunes is young, Diaz is young. We signed Carvalho. Good young players we have. Elliot is a fantastic young player. And with youth and inexperience comes inconsistency, which is to be expected. Because when you have an experienced team for three or four years, then it'll be great if all the new players come in and they hit the ground running and everything goes well smoothly. But the future looks bright for Liverpool because they've got good players at the right age. So it'll take time, but this is, this, this is modern football. And the good thing that Jurgen Klopp has is he has got the luxury of time. So therefore, yes, we've got Melo on loan, but even if we didn't get Melo on loan, he'll be... Other managers need to make signings for now because, of course, they could lose their jobs. Whereas if we didn't make a signing, the, the, the fans, the, the hierarchy support him enough to know that if the signing doesn't make sense, and I think they're maybe looking for Jude Bellingham for next year or January, so we're not on a pressure to sign. And if we don't go and win every game, they're still not going to call for Jürgen's head, as a lot of other clubs would. So we're in a good place, and the future looks bright because we needed to get young players in, which we have done now. But of course, with that, trying to integrate them will mean that we may be a bit inconsistent, which is fine because we still challenge. So uh, I'm not concerned. Um, as you say, Nunes, he's missed a couple of games. He's coming in. But I'm just saying to the Liverpool fans that Liverpool will be OK, but I don't think we're going to go through the season necessarily unbeaten or playing sparkling football as we have. But we shouldn't worry about that. Yeah, I mean, the art of refreshing a team, uh, which Jürgen has proved adept at, Pep has proved adept at, you know, City sold Sterling, for example, to, to Chelsea. They were happy for him to go because... They were signing Haaland and, and you know, they, they brought in Calvin Phillips. And that, that, con- that constant churn of a, you know, the life cycle of a football team, you all have experienced it in your playing days as well. It's quite a fine art for a manager to kind of balance those positions and make sure the team keeps ticking along at the level and the standards that those guys have set. Yes, but also having a way of playing that everyone gets used to. Because when you talk about the relationship between Trent Alexander and Salah, Andy Robinson and Mane, Mane and Firmino, the three hardworking midfield players for the last three or four years, completely understood. Now all of a sudden it's a completely different makeup of player. Even Thiago Alcantara coming has changed that dynamic. And that takes time to get used to. Then Diaz coming in doing really well. The relationship with Andy Robinson, probably not the same as with Mane. Um, and then you have Nunes who plays completely differently as a focal point, as a number nine. So, you know, it will take time. It will take time. But, but while it takes time, we'll still win football matches and we'll draw some. So, and as I said, the future looks bright. But I won't say they're teething problems, but we just have to give the players time to get used to each other. What's more difficult to reset from, John, emotionally? Is it winning a title? They always say it's very difficult to defend and, and kind of re-motivate yourself having scaled the mountaintop. Or... 
Is it what Liverpool went through last season where, yes, they won two cups, but they, they came within a hair's breadth of, of winning everything? And that will have probably taken some level of emotional toll on the players. Well, it shouldn't take a level of emotional toll because having won two cups, lost the cup final and last game of the season having won the league, you then say, what have we achieved and how many matches have we won and who's more successful? The fact that we got to the Champions League final, lost the league in the last game of the season, won two cups, mean we were more successful than any other team. So what you have to do is you have to look at the performances, you have to look at the results, you have to look at the individual matches and say, can we win matches of football? And that's what you have to do. You have to look at the individual matches of football. You don't think, oh, we've lost the league. You think we've lost one game all season. Because we have no control of what Man City does. So if we win every other game and draw one, and Man City wins every other game and draw one and beat us on goal difference, that's not failure. In fact, the year we won the Champions League and finished second in the league, in my opinion, were better than when we won the league. So therefore, what Jurgen Klopp concentrates on is every single game we play, can we win? And if we win the vast majority of games and Man City win every game, you can't ask any more of Liverpool, which is not failure. The, the, the challenge is to win individual matches of football, which is what he focuses on. Not winning cups or winning leagues, because as a consequence of winning individual matches, that happens. So the fact that we should not be disappointed whatsoever that we won two cups and we lost the league in the last game of the season and lost the Champions League, because as long as we keep doing that, winning individual games of football, we'll be successful. Keep calm and don't panic is very much the message <laughs> from Barnsley yeah. there then and just a little warning here you might want to manage your expectations <laughs> if you do happen to be an England fan but first what does he make of the predicament facing the blue half of Merseyside as Everton well they languish in 17th position in the table after five games having earned just three measly points so far well my assessment on Everton in the game against Liverpool the fact that they are where they are, how badly they may or may not be doing, the pressures on Frank has no bearing whatsoever on this individual derby. Okay. Individual derbies, form goes out of the window, anything can happen on the day. Long term, Everton would need to, to improve. They need to get signings, they need to get people in, which doesn't mean that they can't be Liverpool on a one-off because of the excitement of the derby and the fans and the way that derbies are. But long term, I think that because of the expectations and I think the fans can play a big part in that because as you can see in terms of the fervour and the passion that the fans had towards the end of last season people may look at that and feel that that is the reason Everton stayed up in many respects the excitement and the passion that the fans show in many respects and the over expectation in terms of the fact that they believe Everton should be at the top probably works against Everton because they put so much pressure on the team and the way the fans are, the players can't buy into that. The players have to play with calm heads. If you play with the passion, and Everton fans showed, towards, not just towards the end of the last season, towards the last three or four months of the last season, if Everton players go into matches with the same passion, they will lose because they'll end up with eight and nine men on the pitch because they get too excited. They're getting stuck in and the fans are shouting at them to get ten players going forward when they're going to concede goals. You have to be very calm when you play. So the team can't get caught up in the passion of the fans because if you do, you then don't play a proper game of football. So as much as the Everton fans are very passionate, in many respects, they're too passionate because that puts so much pressure on the fans, on the players. Um, but in the derby matches, I think, similarly, uh, that can happen. But... Um, Long term for Everton, they need, they need players. They need players. I feel sorry for Frank because they are Everton. They're a huge club. I think Villa are very similar yeah. because the expectations of the fans doesn't match the reality of where they are. Yeah. So therefore, they have to be very calm and understand that Everton at this moment in time should not be in the top 10. But the expectations are they should. So they put a lot of pressure on the players to do that. So as long as the, they, the fans stay with Frank, believe in him, 
I'm not saying they're going to be in the top 10, but they'll be okay. It's interesting to see what having faith in a manager can produce when you look at Arteta, for example. This time last year, fans and media calling for his head and, and look at where Arsenal are now. And the most important thing in that is that the manager has to be more important than any player. And the telltale sign that helped Arteta was in the battle with Aubameyang and he won. Mm. And he was supported. Because most managers can't win the battle against superstar players. But Jurgen Klopp can, Pep Guardiola can, which is why they are where they are. Thomas Tuchel can, with Lukaku, which is why he's where he is. And now you can see Arteta and you can see how well they do. Whereas most fans give the players more power than the manager, and that is a recipe for disaster. So I think what helped Arsenal is the fact that when Arteta won that battle with Aubameyang, who left, and the hierarchy and the fans supported him, you can see how well Arsenal plays. So regardless of what happens with Gordon or any of the, many of, of the Everton players, Frank Lampard has to be given the power. I want to get your thoughts on a player who has garnering a lot of plaudits and you, you did mention him earlier in the conversation, Jude Bellingham, uh, potentially a, a future Liverpool player, but time will tell on that, on that front. But give us your perspective on, on Jude's qualities and, and what he can bring to the England setup as well. Well, of course, he's a fantastic player. He's got a great attitude and he's in a, a great place to learn football. Um, playing in Germany, whereby they don't overemphasize your importance. Regardless of how much of a young superstar you are, you are part of a team, you are subservient to the senior players, you learn and you grow and you play your trade. Whereas if you do that in England, they make you a superstar before you've done anything and all of a sudden it could go to your head. Um, you can see the difference between Sancho when it's at Dortmund out Man United, where all of a sudden you're 80 million pounds, people say how great you are and maybe you're in consistency. So it's the right place to grow and learn. Um, and of course, Liverpool will be a perfect club for him if he comes because Liverpool will have that ethos. They have that attitude that you're coming to Liverpool to be part of a team. You're not more important than anybody else, which is hard for young players who may cost £100 million. Coming to a situation whereby you cost £100 million, in England we're going to revere you more than we do elsewhere and it can actually work against you. Um, that's why I have a lot of time and I think it improves a lot of these young players when they go to Germany and they stay there for a few years before they come back to England. So... And then if he comes back to England to a club like Liverpool, whereby he still will be part of a team and not be this £100 million superstar who everybody thinks is great, it'll be the right club for him if he comes. John, you've got your retro England shirt on. We are less than three months away from the start of the World Cup. I, I can't let you go without asking you about Gareth Southgate's squad and the team and, and obviously not the best year so far for England. But when you look at the last two results, the trend is very much in the, in the right direction. And, and what are your thoughts on, on where England are at and the approach that perhaps might get them over the line in, in Qatar? Well, what England do is they maximise their potential, notwithstanding the last couple of nationwide matches. But if you look what they've done in the last couple of tournaments, they maximise their potential to beat who they should, to get to the latter stages, which is what they should do. And then with a bit of luck, they can win. But if you then say, if we play France or if we play Belgium in the World Cup final and both teams play as well as they can, who will win? France and Belgium will. But if we play well and they don't perform, we can beat them. So that can happen. So what you have to demand from any team is to maximise their potential. You can ask them to win because what you're assuming is that we can play Belgium and we can beat Belgium, yes we can, but we're assuming that we'll play well and they won't. So if you say to any England fan or any person, if we play as well as we can and they do, who should win? And the answer should be Belgium. And why should Belgium not play as well as they can? Because we're England, we should win? Because we're England, what we should do, because of the way the seedings go, is that we should beat who we should beat, and then with a bit of luck, we can go to the semi-final, even get to the final, even win the tournament. But the expectation for England to win the tournament is wrong. Because if you look at the seedings and you say, who's the best team in the world? They should win the World Cup. If you're fifth in the world, you should get to the semi-finals. So, and that's what Gareth has done. He's maximised your potential, as I said, notwithstanding the last nationwide leagues. And he's maximised your potential to do what we should do. So with a bit of luck, we can. 
but then to expect England to win the World Cup. Why should we when shouldn't France, ex- French people expect France to win the World Cup? Of course, yeah. And Brazilians expect them to win the World Cup? So what we should expect is for England to maximise their potential and beat the teams they should, get to the last quarterfinals, semifinals, maybe even final, and with a bit of luck we can win. Is there more potential to be untapped? Because it's, it's pragmatic, Gareth's yeah. style. I mean, it's, it's two holding midfielders. Um, he's played a very, you could call it cautious, and, and that, that's, that's yielded yeah. great results. But in the matches that need to be won... You felt like in the final against Italy, England were a little bit too reserved when they could have killed the game. You know, Bellingham would be a good example of someone, maybe he's too young, Foden. Uh, Is there more creative talent that can be used, John? Well, hindsight's a wonderful thing. More creative talent means that you don't have as many defensive players and they can beat us three or four. So we play attacking players and then they have attacking players and they're better than us. So why would we do that? So we can't think we've got, don't forget other people have got creative players as well. In fact, other people are more creative players than us. So because we see them and we think, well, Foden's great and he's great and he's great. Um, so therefore, we should be beating them. But in France and Belgium, they have equally as creative players. So therefore, depending on who you play against, means that, of course, if you're going to play against Austria, we can play all attacking players. But if you're playing against France and Belgium, you can't say, let's just take the game to them and attack them because they have, they have better attacking players than us. And on the counter-attack, they'll beat us because we're not great defensively. Um, so therefore we need to protect the back four if you like so therefore you have to have the right balance and the greatest thing about football is that of course when you've lost we said what we should have done we should have done that but had he done that maybe we wouldn't have made it to the final you've done a very good job at managing my expectations as an England fan John although although you do you really do listen uh, tomorrow of course we're down here Premier Inn uh, of course Al Jadaf Mr Toads you're going to be down here Uh, you're going to be enjoying the Merseyside derby and a little Q&A as well for Liverpool fans to come and enjoy well, it depends on how the result goes. But listen, I enjoy all Merseyside derbies. Doesn't matter about the result, as long as we win. So in a nutshell there, it is all rosy in the Liverpool Garden, <laughs> but England fans, delighted to echo the sentiments of John there, do not get your hopes up. You will not hopefully be winning the World Cup next year. Yeah, big thanks to John, of course. See next and year, this Premier year. in, yeah, just under three months. But you can catch that event tomorrow if you do fancy it. If you are a Liverpool fan, Barnsley is going to be down there from 2 pm at Mr. Toad's Pub, the brilliantly named Al Jadaf Premier Inn. Uh, 2 pm, it all kicks off, and you can watch the game with a Liverpool legend. Now, before we go, let's get a quick word from Premier Inn MD Simon Lee. He just happens to be a massive fan of this like, he enjoyed our traffic cone update did he really he did yes if, if you're listening Simon I do salute you for that he may just be given what you said to me earlier today he might be rivaling the likes of Sanjay and oh, Fad I think he's got a long way to go before he oh, really? enters the hallowed turf or of superfan territory but you know keep listening Simon okay, you may get there one day <laughs> he's quickly turned off yeah, to another has. channel now but anyway I caught up with him a little earlier today to find out how the hotel chain's plans are progressing for what is going to be an incredibly busy couple of months ahead of the World Cup. We've got the seven destinations here. We've got two in Abu Dhabi and we've got the two in, uh, in Qatar as well. I think from a Dubai perspective, the ability to be able to, your point, shuttle across um, is, is absolutely priceless. You look at Doha and Doha does have a limited amount of hotel stock available. And therefore, if you can be in Dubai, enjoy the Dubai you know, feeling and atmosphere during the World Cup period, enjoy the game but shuttle to and fro kind of 45 minute flight to Doha enjoy a game if you can you know if you've got a if you're lucky enough to have a ticket you can go and watch a game but then come back and stay with us as well so every game will be televised um, we've put money back into making sure we've got good you know big screens um, making sure that we're looking at how we can market and promote and give you know good offers for people coming in so uh, uh, yeah I think we're pretty well set to, to make uh, you know to make the most of it 
the voice there of uh, the MD of Premier Inn, Simon Lee. We wish him well with that event tomorrow down at the Premier Inn, Al Giraffe. It is John Barnes uh, building up to that Merseyside derby, Liverpool against Everton. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 